0: And when Daniel sent the children down and the kids workers down, did he send them out like sheep among wolves? Is that what it said? Good luck, as we send them off down there this morning. Anyway, let's pray as we look at God's word. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of delving a bit deeper. Thank you that you long to reveal yourself to us, to say something to us this morning. We ask, Lord, that by your Spirit, whether it's through my words or in spite of my words, that you would speak, we would hear, and we'd have a longing to do something about it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we're continuing to look through Luke's Gospel, but I just want to um, start by just sharing a couple of things. to to begin with one which is uh pete if you move the slide on one as well is that i don't know a few years ago um the church of england uh the evangelical alliance and hope uh who are a christian organization commissioned a report for christians and non-christians to say what do people think of jesus you know this is general public and they commissioned a report to say, what do people think, what do they think about it? what do Christians think about him, and they commissioned a report, they produced a report with a whole load of statistics about what people thought and felt and said about Christianity and about Jesus in particular. There's lots of fascinating things in it. If you've got some time, go online. It says it's on talkingjesus.org as the kind of website Because actually sometimes we can get ourselves into the position where we think nobody's interested, nobody cares, nobody's receptive, everybody's against us. And actually we mentally get into that place where actually we think we have a message, we have something that's good, but who on earth wants to hear it? When uh, they did a couple of, I've just called up a couple of bits of information. Is that readable? Oh, it is just from, just about. Um, so when people asked who Jesus was, who they thought Jesus were, were, this is a sample of people. 21% of the population said Jesus was God in human form. Just 17% is a normal human being. 29% were pr- pr- prepared to say that he was a prophet. 22 um, said he's a myth- mythical, fictional character. 9% don't know and 2% don't know the others. So a real mixture of views about who this person Jesus was and is. If you move on one, Pete. One of the things then about um, when they looked at the Christians and said to the Christians, well, how did you decide? What were the contributing factors to you deciding to follow Jesus? Actually, these were the things, these were the main things, six categories, I think. They said 41% was because they grew up in a Christian family, uh, t- 36% of them said they'd had conversations with Christians. So actually Christians had taken the time to talk to them, to explain to them, and to share something of their faith to them. So that was 36%. 28% were attending a church service. 20% was just by reading the Bible, just picking up their Bible and reading. That was a kind of big contribut- contributory factor. And 24% having a love of Jesus, experiencing the love of Jesus, and 17 percent other other kind of experience, too. If we move that on briefly, just to kind of think a little bit, um, amongst the many statistics, and you can say anything with statistics, one of the things that's quite interesting is this, is that amongst the many people who don't want to know, there are a tranche of people in our society who actually want to know more about Jesus. They're interested They've heard something about him, but they don't know much about him. They don't know how to find out about him and what to do about it. So they are interested, but how on earth do we connect with them? How do we find those people to give a chance to explain and to share? There are all sorts of opportunities for us as Christians to reach out. And not everybody is against. There are lots of people who are open. Lots of people in Bath will be interested We believe God's at work as well. On top of all that research, forget the kind of statistical stuff. We believe God is at work in his world, revealing himself. The question is, where is it work? And how can we join in with that? Where can we see we can play our part with that? I'll come back to some of those things later on as we go through. Many of you will know, and uh, we've been looking at the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, and we were, last week, we were on the road to Emmaus, before that was obviously Easter. We've gone back to where we left the story, just at the moment, at the end of chapter 9, now at the beginning of chapter 10. And it's like a tipping point in the whole of Luke's Gospel, where the, essentially the question that's being put forward by Luke is not, who is Jesus? It's more now, okay, so if that Jesus is... Who he says he is. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for me and for you and for them, the disciples at the time? How shall I live? Should this change how I behave, what I do, and how I go about to live my life? For example, one of the things I found fascinating at this juncture are we just observers of Jesus? Or are we participants in the story of Jesus? Does it mean to be a follower, the learner, and a disciple of Jesus, that we take up the mantle of what Jesus did? And this is a fascinating point in the picture and the picture of Jesus in the story of Luke's gospel. But there are three things I want to talk about this morning. Really simple. I'm going to go relatively quickly. I'm saying that a follower of Jesus has three things from this passage a mission, a message, and a motivation. I want to talk about mission, I want to talk about message, and I want to talk about motivation. Firstly, mission. The very first part of the passage, and if you've got it in front of you, that might help. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them. They were sent two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Then in verse 3, you'll see, go, go, I'm sending you. Go, says Jesus. I'm sending you. Well, this is something for us to join in with. It's not just for us to observe. Remember when, for those of you who remember from earlier on, when we looked at Luke, uh, Luke 9, the previous passage, Jesus gets these 12 disciples together, uh, the future leaders of his church, the future leader of the, um, the movement, and he sends them out with authority and with power. That's what he sends his disciples out, and what does he? Does anybody remember what he sends them out to do? Obviously not. Okay. Uh, Well, let me remind you: three things. He sends them out in Luke nine. Says to preach, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. So Jesus sent his first disciples out to preach, to cast out demons, and to heal the sick. Those three things. So in essence, what's that all about? When he sends them out in Luke 9, what well, preaching is about helping and persuading people of what's really true. He said, go, help people, persuade people, show them what's true. He said, cast out demons. is all about liberating people from all that's upslaving them. And healing the sick means to continually mend and restore bodies and communities and make them whole. In other words, what Jesus says, continue my work. Now you continue the work that I've been doing and to mend the fabric of the world that is broken. Continue the work of Jesus. Now if we only had um, chapter 9, let's say stop to chapter 9, if we didn't have chapter 10, there's a number of you who might read quite carefully who might think this, well that's right, this preaching, casting out demons, healing the sick. That's what clergy do, isn't it? That's what I pay you to do, Tim. Come on, Tim. Go on, preach gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick, and all's good. You're paid to do it, off you go. But, unfortunately for us all this morning, is chapter 10 follows chapter 9. And in chapter 10, those of you who are careful and understand a little bit about the numbers in Scripture will see that Jesus sends 72 people together and gets 72 together. And you may say, some of you may not be interested in numbers. Anybody interested in numbers? A few of you? Just a few of you? Well, actually 72 is very significant. And part of the reason it's significant is this, is that ancient readers who read this at the time would know. And commentators will tell you if you spend time reading about this passage. Then the Greek translation, translation excuse me, of the Hebrew scriptures, when you went to Genesis 10, when you go into Genesis 10, you had a list of all the nations on the face of the earth, and they numbered 72. They numbered 72. And what's going on is here, it's Jesus saying, I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out to all the nations. I'm sending you out. Now, those of you who know uh, your Latin will know that the word mission um, is, is the Latin word here being sent. Jesus' disciples were sent and are sent. Every disciple is missional. Disciples are called. Each one of us, if we responded to the call of Jesus, we're called in to relationship with Jesus. He radically calls us in completely changes the love of God, continually transforming us, makes us a new creation. But he doesn't do that just to enable us to wallow in that and hope we get to heaven. He sends us out at the same time too. We're radically invited in and then we're sent out to others and to the world. We see this throughout Scripture too. If you know your stories, your Old Testament, we see it in Abraham, in Moses, and Isaiah. Come in. Relationship with me, but then go out and share what you've been given. Share the good news, share all the goodness, share the relationship with other people. Now, those of you who uh, we've in a couple of years ago, we took some time to, to think about this passage of two, but in Ephesians 2 10, Paul puts it this way So each of you are God's workmanship, each one of us are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And what's significant about that particular passage as Paul writes to the church in Ephesus is this, is there are particular things, there are particular projects, there are particular initiatives, there are particular people that God has uniquely created us and made for us to connect with and to bless and to enable Each one of us has an ability to connect and to bless and to help specific people. We're called to be a blessing to others. In other words, and I meet uh, many people who go through all sorts of difficult experiences and somehow they think God cannot use them because of those experiences. But actually all your experiences, including your struggles, including your hardships, including the kind of successes and the joys and everything, your race, your gender, your age, your gift mix, all of those things are a gift to you to use as a blessing to others, bring healing and hope to people's lives. One of the things that I'd say is part of Joan I's journey in struggling to have kids is that actually, although that was a journey of a number of years, it's incredibly painful and difficult, it means you have a capacity in some of your suffering to be really um, compassionate and able to reach people who've been through some of those other challenges. Not to be so stuck in guilt and a sense of failure and it didn't quite work out, that actually we stop believing God's at work and God wants to use us. But he's going to use you to uniquely bless people, including some of those difficult experiences. So Jesus says, I send you i send you i send you each one of us has a mission i wonder whether you personally have discovered that forget the church for a second but personally registered that are being called in by god god also wants to use you to bless others are you aware of that do you know that have you got a feel for what that might look like but if you don't then you say well Maybe there's some things as part of gathered communities as church, the things that uniquely I can do to bless others, to join in with others, and to serve others. Pointing outwards, we have a whole community and a city God's called us to bless. And secondly, everyone who meets Jesus has a message. We have a message. But what are we sent to do? Now, we're going to get to... Uh, next week this week and next week in many ways uh, a little bit like a pair of passages and next week we're going to look out to see what it means to give practical care and practical support but this passage makes it really clear that we are messengers we are messengers we have a message and we are called to take that message to be part of that message and take hold of that message look at the middle part of the passage go out he says tell them the kingdom of God is near you. If they won't listen, say, Be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near you. Down in verse 16. He who listens to you, listens to me. He who rejects you, rejects me. Every single disciple of Jesus has a message to publicly communicate to others and urge people to join in and to believe now I know for some of you sat here this morning that might be a bit of an uncomfortable thing to say actually in our society it's a really hot topic to say that many of your friends many of your friends may be really embarrassed if they were sat here this morning that even that I would say that this morning they might be really offended by it because actually one of the common things I've most often heard when I talk to people who aren't Christians is this, they say, look, do you know what, this is a problem I have with Christianity. I mean, it, it, you know, to be honest, Tim, it's all right for you to believe in Jesus, but you don't need to tell me about it. You can have joy and peace in whatever it is else you think following Jesus gives you, but to be honest, just keep that to yourself, won't you? Don't try and convert me. That's wrong. That's wrong and if you look generationally as well there's a massive split within our society about that too it's a really challenging and difficult thing however jesus christ sends us into the world to communicate what he calls the good news the gospel jesus calls us to share and to proclaim and to declare and share the good news now what does the word gospel mean we've said this before but the, but the word good news, the word gospel or the translated good news, was news of an objective, life-changing, history-making event that changed everybody's situation. That's what good news was all about. So, for example, in the you look in the society of the time, there's a document that in Greek uh, starts like this. This is the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. It was a declaration that he had taken and ascended to the throne. It was sent out. That gospel, that message from Caesar Augustus was sent out to to by heralds, and they took it everywhere in the whole community. You see, it's an announcement of history-changing, history-making event that affects everybody, so it's sent out. And you see here what happens when Jesus says here. When Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning in this passage. He was claiming, almost casually, Jesus is claiming, I was there before the foundation of the world. I was there before the material universe existed. I am the uncreated second person of the triune God, Jesus Son of God, I am God. Just it's almost casual. Jesus is revealing again who he is. And so if that is true, if that's who Jesus was, then his birth is gospel. His life is gospel. God has made his dwelling amongst us. It's a history-changing, momentous event that changes our entire situation And the thing about something like that and the thing about that kind of scale of event is this. You have to respond to it. Otherwise, history is going to leave you in its wake. But let's just get back to the problem. When a person says to you or to me, okay, so, you know, you believe in Jesus, that's great. Just don't try to convert me. What they're actually saying to us, if any of your friends have said that to you, What they're actually saying to you is this. You must not believe in Jesus. That's effectively what they're saying to you. You must not believe in Jesus. That's what they're really saying to you. Because what they're saying is Jesus can't be the unique God broken into history who has changed absolutely everything. That's what they're saying to you. That's what they're saying to me. What do I mean by that? Here's an example, if I use an example. Just say, for example, I, when I was up on Lansdowne in our house, let's just say, for example, I found the cure for cancer. Let's just say I found the cure for cancer. Do you know what? I found the cure for cancer, but I'm only just going to treat my family and my close friends. You know, I'm going to heal them, and when they get sick I'll, sick, I'll treat them when they get cancer. But I won't let anybody else know about it. You know, that's not what I'm going to do. I mean, if I did that, that'd be one of the most horrendous, and people would argue one of the most wicked things anyone could do withholding healing for so many people. But that's what it'd be to know Jesus is not just a prophet, He's not just a wise man coming to give advice about the state of the world. Jesus is God. He's God then his coming, if he is God, is a gospel. It's a gospel, it's a good news event that changes everything. And what they're really saying is when people object to that, when people object to that, they're saying this, they're saying, saying, really Tim, you know, my view of the universe is really the one you should adopt. Reject your view of Jesus and take my view of the world. Abandon your ideas, Tim. This idea that somehow Jesus is a unique person, the son of God. Forget it and adopt mine. You know, it's okay. You have the right to say that. But if if your friends say that to you, that's no more tenable intellectually or in any other way, morally or ever, than actually having a Christian point of view. Absolutely no more tenable whatsoever. When they say abandon your view and adopt ours, that's no different. They're saying, adopt my worldview. Because the reality is, everybody is advocating, proposing, proselytizing their worldview. The things they're passionate about, the things that shape them, the values, everybody's doing it. You only need to look at the universe and the world and the way we operate to see that. One way or another, we are doing it. This morning, I know for many of us that some things this might be well-worn territory, but I wonder how many of us actually are at a place where we struggle to communicate anything of the message of Jesus. We may be very fearful. We may be anxious. We may not know what used words to use. We may have lots of things in our head. We may have tried it and got embarrassed. We may be listening to all the criticism of friends or neighbours or family. And actually whether it's and we become silent it's almost like we're embarrassed to mention Jesus we're embarrassed to mention Jesus we're so fearful we've grown so fearful so anxious that actually actually ironically his name doesn't come off our lips outside here Have a think, one of my prayers is that we would journey from where we are this morning to a place of growing in greater confidence to share something, to share something. Some of you may be uber confident at doing all sorts of things and sharing it. Some of you may know I've barely spoken of Jesus to anybody ever, ever. And my prayer is not to condemn you this morning, but to say if you are here, what would a step of faith look like this week? to speak of Jesus? What could you do? Who could you talk to? What could you say? But we still have a problem, you see, uh, in this passage and this, because many people think it's Christians even if we do say something, because the other thing we know is that even if we argue intellectually that oh, my view is no more different than any other have a right or an ability to share about Jesus, there are many people who think that actually Christians and particularly also anybody with religion, they're at the problem, the root problems of all the w- in the world. These people who argue about absolute truth, they've done so much harm in the history, all the kind of violence and dif- discord and trouble that we see around the world, well, what we see in this passage, Jesus does something really beautiful and really carefully to his disciples to, avoid them, to, avoid, to, to enable them to avoid abusing the power of the good news that they have. And it's beautiful, it's wise, and it's brilliant about how he's doing it. So he says, it has to do with your motivation. It all has to do with your motivation. And that's the third point this morning. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to to, to us in your name. You can see them, way we've done it. Jesus is saying, you know, of course my gospel has that kind of power. That's the kind of gospel that it has. But then you look at verse 20, look at verse 20 and it says this. Jesus says this, however, do not rejoice, that the spirits submit to you. What's Jesus saying? I don't like your attitude. I don't like your motivation. I don't like the way you're getting dunamis. Do you remember, people, any of you at a certain age remember dunamis? Talking about dunamis, okay, maybe not, not in this tradition. There's a whole series of things about power. I don't like how you're using the power I've given you. But what did Jesus say? But Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's Jesus doing here? He's saying there's a kind of motivation, there's a kind of attitude and approach to the mission and message of Jesus that actually is bad and does harm. And it's not helpful. So what's wrong? And if you look carefully, they're not excited about having liberated people. They're not so excited about having set the captives free. They didn't come back saying, wow, Lord, you know, um, husbands and wives are reunited, families and children and parents' relationships have been restored. They didn't come back with that message of liberation and healing and restoration. They said, wow, Lord, we're really something the demons submit to us. So what do you mean to have your name written? heaven why does Jesus say that so when Jesus says that we know that in ancient times to have your name, mitten, main name written down meant you were somebody Jesus is saying this he's saying look at what you're trusting to you get a sense of identity and who you are your power is it your power your gifts your accomplishments your success is it all about your performance and that's the problem. If your trust is in that, then you'll find yourself in the same place as Satan, where pride became the place of his fall. And here's the thing this morning. He said, if you say, here's how I know I'm somebody, if you're sat here this morning and you think, well, I've got a track record of all these great accomplishments, and that means I can sit here before God. People are listening to me, I have an impact in my life, my career, my family are doing great, my whatever, 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 I've got the right house, the right career, right, whatever. Jesus is hinting that actually if that's your attitude, it can actually damage community and ultimately damage society. But you see, the thing is this, is if you rejoice in your accomplishments, in your power, in your performance, what you're going to do is you're going to end up being coercive and manipulative towards people because they become like your trophies. They become like my success story, and I want them to be mine. And the thing is this, is that when that goes well, it'll all be good. But there are a range of people, though, who you become deaf to, because people who reject you, people who actually are very threaten you because they won't do what you want them to do. They won't conform in the way you want them to behave. And they actually undermine your very nature of your identity and who you are. And that becomes toxic. So what does Jesus mean? Ancient people all believed that when we Judgment Day came, and many people would argue this is a, a really kind of... Um, dominant view, worldview anyway for people who follow religion is that when it came to the judgment day and when it came to the end of time God was going to sit there and God would say look on this side of the track are all the good things I've done and on this side of the track are all the bad things I've done and actually when I hope I get to the end what I hope is that my good somehow outweighs my bad and that's essentially how religion works. And that's how if my, my deeds are good enough, then my name will be in the book of life because they're greater than my bad deeds. Jesus says this, he says, the gospel is your name is already written down. You know, when you go to, you may not have gone to the smartest restaurant in Bath, but when you go to the smartest restaurant in Bath, you turn up and see the maitre d' and you say, yes, you think my name is in the reservation. He looks down and he says, yes. Your name is written down come to the table Jesus Christ says the door on which you've been knocking all of your life and all the beauty you've ever sought and all the love you've ever sought this is the love you're after heaven this is your life was created for heaven and for God welcome him welcome God welcome Jesus into the heart of things This morning, will you accept that invitation? Jesus says, don't rejoice in what you've done. Then your self-image will be all over the place, whether you think you're successful, or you're a failure, or whatever it is. But instead, rejoice in who you are in me. Radically secure, completely loved, completely forgiven, completely accepted. Your name has been written down if you put your trust in Jesus, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in grace. And Jesus gives a great example right at the end of the passage. It says "And Jesus, in verse 21 onwards around there, then Jesus full, cries, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I love the way your salvation works, he says. Because you hide these things from people who think they're wise and learned. You hide these things from the people who think they're moral, who think they're good, who think they're wise in their own eyes. And you give your grace to the children, to the ones who are weak, who know they're not wise, to ones who know they're not good, and simply say, Lord Jesus, save me. By your grace. There are all sorts of practical tips in this last bit of the passage about how we share the message of Jesus with people with the right motivation. Here's a few things. For example, he says, Woe to, woe to you, Corazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. The word woe does not mean curse you, woe is empathy. Woe is a deep, deep empathy. Woe is distress. Well is a cry. It's an emotional engagement of the people who are lost and actually longing to see them brought home. Longing. It's about emotionally engaging, not detaching from the problems of the world. We see that they go in twos. It's very hard to communicate the gospel effectively unless you do it with people who can help you to refine the way you do it and the way you go about it without comparing notes and going with somebody else and it helps you and supports you notice too there's amazing courage I will send you like lambs among wolves what does that mean it means that there's a great courage because actually the outcome doesn't matter the outcome doesn't matter we don't care we don't care what people think there's enormous um, liberation from realizing that actually it's up to Jesus to reveal himself. But our bit, we need to be courageous. There's gentleness, too. But you see, we're always a lamb. We're not a wolf. We're a lamb. We're a lamb, never forcing it on others, never um, uh, trying to kind of crush it into people, but giving it and allowing them to respond. But we don't turn into wolves. It's all right for Christians, ultimately. It's easy for me to say this. I know sat in Bath here today. But Christians are not persecutors. Christians are not persecutors. Christians don't look down their noses at other people in superiority, in judgment and condemnation because people are not believing. We are saved by grace. By grace. Gentleness, courage, Empathy and togetherness, they are our motivation. That's how we go out and share the good news. And the thing is this, if you rejoice in anything other, it will eventually desert desert you. Relationships, possessions, learning, success are all temporary. The only thing you can rejoice in that will reweave the social fabric and not desert you in the in the end is to, know, is to know that your name is written in the book of heaven. The grace of God that will make you full of joy in the power of the Spirit. Because a Christian who wants to, to bring a, the Christian who wants to make a difference in this world, brings a message and shares it with others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this passage. Um, It is challenging, challenging for me personally and for us personally, but thank you for the reminder that we are called to other people, we are called in mission, and that we do have a message to share with other people. But we're also conscious that we need to get our hearts right, we need to get our attitudes right, we need to get our motivation right that enables us to bring that message, to be involved in that mission with the right attitude and the right belief and the right way of doing things. Father, pray would you come by your Spirit, would you fall afresh upon us and empower us to be and to live your story, to open our lips at times when those opportunities present, to have courage, but to do it with gentleness. And for those of us this morning who may be feeling guilty, Father, we offer all that guilt, that sense of inadequacy afresh at the foot of your cross and say we're sorry where we have gone silent on you. Would you lead us on, each one of us? Would you lead us, each one of us, on our, uh, to give us the opportunity to share something of the good news of Jesus? Would it flow out of us as we encounter you? And would this morning above all those things, would you remind us afresh that actually we can rejoice because our names are written in heaven for those of us who put our trust in you, that our future is sure with you. We don't need to tarry. We don't need to to try. We don't need to succeed. But we need to put our faith and trust in you. It's all your grace. Oh, Father, we recognize that each one of us gets uh, um, attempted to get discouraged, to get downcast, maybe family or work colleagues or friends who we long to see come to know you Jesus, but there are never the right opportunities, never the right things to say. I've no idea what to say or do. Holy Spirit, would you transform us? Would you continue to shape us, not to lose heart? but to persevere because we know that our names are written in the book of heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And um, Before we come to communion, we're not going to sing this morning. Um, John is just going to play quiet in the background. There's some questions, four questions I've left up, but I'd just like to have maybe two or three minutes of quiet just to reflect on where you are and what you think God might be calling you how he how might be calling you to respond so we just have some quiet to think that through in your own mind and then we'll go to share communion together